Today I'm going to be ministering about the intrinsic holiness of man. What I mean by that is that there is a holiness inside each one of us that comes just by design. Uh, so many times we think that we have been born with sin and that we've just got the sinful nature and there's just something evil about man and that God has come to save us from being evil. Uh, and I want to explain that. It's very important that we believe good things about ourselves. If you think that you have intrinsic sin or that you are actually evil or that mankind is born evil, the moment you see any sin in your life or anything negative in your life, it will just automatically go back to the default setting of, I am evil. From that perspective, you will not be able to really love yourself, neither other people. And some, there will be something in your heart that thinks, oh, well, this is just an evil person anyway, or you will think of yourself that way. I think the greatest place or the greatest way it affects us is towards ourselves. So we just think that we are just evil. There's just something wrong with us. And especially if we are even in the grace message or in the gospel in some form and we try to obey the Lord and we are born again, we pray in tongues, we've done all the breakthrough marches and all the prayer meetings we've attended, we've played worship music in our house for um, for years and had messages play over and over and we still find there's something wrong with ourselves, then we will just come to the conclusion, well, you know that I am just evil. There is just something wrong with me. Why am I not changing? What is wrong with me? Now, I want to say to you, there's nothing wrong with man as a being. Uh, man has not been made evil. When you are born, you are not evil. Uh, when Adam was made, he was not made evil. He was made good. And we're going to look at that. It's very important to know that you are good. Every person is good. You know, I've, uh, I've had people come to me so many times and say, there are so many good people out there. And you can actually see when you really speak to a person, even if he's a criminal, even if he has raped somebody, even if he's done something bad, and you just spend some time with that person, after a while you start to see that there's just a person inside there. There's a person there that is going through a hard time, that maybe have understood things wrong, that grew up in a way that, um, <clears throat> that wasn't good. You can talk about somebody that maybe molested someone else, and you find out that that is just what has happened to him when he was a child. And you start to realize that inside every person there's actually something very good and something very beautiful. And that is what God has seen when he gave his son. And that was what actually um, caused him to give his son. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible does not say, For God felt so sorry for the world that he gave his son. It says he loved the world. And I've preached it many times, but I mean we cannot say this more than um, enough. This is the definition for love. It is an excitement of the mind that is or comes forth because you are beholding value or beauty. So when God looks at the world, and when John said, for God so loved the world, he was actually saying God's mind and his emotions were so excited with the beauty that he beheld, the value that he beheld, that he gave his son. Now, the Bible also says that he gave his son while we were sinners. And that word sin there, sin means not to partake of or missing the mark. 
So he gave his son while we were missing the mark. So while we were missing the mark, while we were under the law, while we had the fruit of the flesh in our lives, he gave his son. So what does that mean? And, and there's something very beautiful in that. The Bible says that for a righteous man, a person might dare to die. For a good man, someone can even give his life, you know. But Christ gave his life for us while we were yet sinners. So what does that mean? I think... That doesn't just mean like, look how good God is, that when I was a sinner, he gave his life. I'm not even a righteous man. I'm not even good. I think what it says is, is that God looked past all of our sin and he saw the good. He saw his child lost. He saw his child oppressed. Exactly the same as what I read in Psalm 103 when we did the communion. He came to execute righteousness and judgment for the oppressed. When somebody is oppressed, when he's a slave, he lives in poverty, he lives in bitterness, he lives in hatred. He just he, he carries rebellion in his heart. Um, he doesn't think good thoughts when he's enslaved. He can have thoughts of murder and hatred uh, in his heart towards his taskmasters and all those kind of things. If you just think of the, 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 um, the Israelites when they were in Egypt. Do you think that they only had beautiful language, never had one cuss word, never had one swear word towards those Egyptian oppressors? No, they lived in hatred. They lived in bitterness. They wished the death of those people every day. But when God saw them, they said that Israel is my people. And he spoke to Moses and he said, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He still saw his people. Now, if we come from a legalistic perspective, we can say, well, look at God. You know, God is, you know, you might give your life for a king or you might give your life for a priest. But look at God. He gave his life to slaves. But if those slaves are his children, we can understand that. And if those slaves are his children, all of a sudden we see their value. We see their beauty. And in the very same way, we need to understand that man is good. Now, I'm going to just read. I don't have scriptures uh, on the screen today, but I'm just going to read this to you from Genesis 1 verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and he beheld it was very good. And the evening and was the morning, the sixth day. It says, and I want to read it again. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The word was is italicized. So what it actually says is, it says that God was beholding what was very good. So God made everything that he made. And after he made everything, he was standing and he was looking around at it. And he was beholding what was very good. It doesn't even just say good. It says very good. Now was man part of that? Was man also part of very good? Yes, man was part of very good. But if you look at the fall of man, and we read from Genesis 2.16 and how God warned man against eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we find that this very good person started to partake of something that was very bad for him. Now Genesis 2.16 says the following, it says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. 
and the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. So, God, when God made man, if we talk, talk about the second account of creation and where Genesis 2, the, the, the second explanation of how creation took place, this is what God said. God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden. Eve was not made yet at that uh, moment. And God came and said to Adam, I put you in this garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat thereof, you will surely die. And after he said that to Adam, he said um, to himself, he says, it is not good that man is alone. So what God defined as not good is that man should be alone. Why? Because man can be tempted to eat of that tree. And the true purpose of um, creating Eve, I believe, was uh, number one, that man could be in the full image of God because God is a trinity, he's a more than one, he's a family. In order for man to be truly uh, in the image of God, there needs to be more than one. And secondly, the job of Eve, if you want to call it a job, was to actually assist Adam and help him uh, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think, and I preached it in one of my messages about marriage, uh, you wives um, out there, the thing that you need to do, if you, if you want to say, why am I here? What is one of the reasons? One of the reasons is to just help your husband not to fall into legalism and law. And just to point out grace and the grace message. You know, and when you see legalism and law, to just say, let us not believe in it that way. And just point to grace all the time. I found my wife, you know, when I want to, when I think legalistic about something or whatever, she would just say, that's the law. We can't live like that. Or if I want to judge myself negatively and I want to start to eat of knowledge of good and evil, she comes to me and says to me, Bertie, you cannot live by your own works. You cannot live by, by um, the successes of this life or things like that. And it just helps me and protects me. So God's plan was that this good person would not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for should he partake of that tree, he will then get the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil doesn't mean he will become evil. It means he will just have experience of what it is to be at a place where you want to do good, but you cannot do the good, and you just want to do evil. You are wise unto evil, but you're not wise unto good. And that is also what um, that is also what happened to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at that in Romans 7. But before we get to that, I want to just say this. Man is, when man was made, man was made from the dust of the earth. And this is how God made man. He took dust, he took life, and he connected the dust with the life. And then out of these two, I want to call it entities, came forth something that is called a human being. The best way I can uh, like, what I can liken that unto is to a sperm and an egg. If these two come together, you don't find a sperm egg. You find a human that comes forth. Something new comes out of the two. In the very same way, God took dust and he took life and he put it together 
and a human came forth. This human that came forth, perfectly created, in, perfectly as God wanted him, God said to him, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for you have the ability to die. What he meant by that was, Adam, you don't have the ability inside you to have life from yourself. You have been made as a recipient of life. You are not a life giver. When Adam and Eve sinned, after they've sinned, the Bible says, and God said, uh, Behold, man has become as one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, that has been for so many years a question in my heart. What does that mean? Because does God now live by good and evil? Now, what he was actually saying was this. Man has become as one of us. One of the old translations says it this way. Man has become one from himself. So he's, you remember, God is the self-existing one. So here he, God made a man, which is not a self-existing one, which is, a, he is a dependent on God giving him life. He's not self-existent. And then he says, behold, man has now become a self-existent one by and through the knowledge of good and evil. So what man has actually done is man has said, well, I'm not going to live by God giving me life. I am going to live by uh, beholding my own ability and having life by it. Now, God, when God made man, he made man that way. He made man a being that cannot live by himself, and that is not evil. It is not evil to have an inability to have eternal life by your works. That is not evil. It's part of human design. Man cannot save himself, and that is not evil. It's not evil. When, we, when God made man, and man stood up from the dust of the earth, and in front of God was a man that could not, could not produce eternal life by his own works. In front of God was a man that does not have the ability to have holiness or to become holy by his own works. In front of him was a man that could only be, have the life of God by God indwelling him, and on his own he cannot have anything good manifest out of him. When God beheld that and after he created that, he said, it's very good. So when we come at a, and, and when we come and we see our inability to be like God by our own works, we cannot call that evil. We can just say that that is what man is. When we, when we talk about a sinful nature, we can only define sinful nature as in the nature that cannot by its own ability partake of eternal life and the very being of God. If we want to say man has got a sinful nature or a nature that cannot by itself partake of eternal life, then I would agree with the definition. But that is not what was understood by people when we talk about a sinful nature. When we talk about a sinful nature, we actually said that we've got a satanic nature and that we are evil in our being. In the meantime, we're not evil. In the meantime, we are people that are very good for the purpose whereof God has created us. 
God has created us for this purpose. And that purpose is that we would have life and abundance of life in Him giving us life. That is the only way. There is no other way wherein we can have life. So, um, when, when we take a plant, let's say we take a tree for instance. That tree is dependent on water. Do we call that tree evil because if it doesn't have water, it dies and shrivels up and the leaves don't look beautiful? You know, my, um, my father-in-law, when he passed away, Elena inherited um, some of these cycad, uh, cycads. And, uh, I mean, if you want to buy a big cycad, they're very expensive. And so she inherited four of them. And we got all the permits and everything and brought them down um, to Malmesbury. Now, where Elena grew up and where those plants stood for many years is a completely different climate than here. And we brought them down and two of those are dying. Now, I'm not, when I look at that plant, I look at that beautiful plant, which is really, it's, it's an outstandingly beautiful. But when I look at that plant, and I look at it in this climate here, and I'm seeing it dying, I'm not saying the plant became evil. Because it is not beautiful anymore. <laughs> No, I feel compassion for that plant. I mean, the, the other day I took the one out of the place where it was planted, put it in other soil where the others grow better, and, and, and I, I give it the best treatment I can. I make sure that there's no insects there. I make sure that there's nothing that eats it. I, I, I give it all the, everything it needs, as good as what I know how. I read up on, read up on the web. I want to see that that plant does well, but it's dying. Now, does that make the plant evil? No. The atmosphere that he is in cannot produce life in him. That doesn't make the plant evil. In the same way, when Adam and Eve started to breathe the oxygen, or not the oxygen, when it breathed the atmosphere of law, Adam started to die, and death started to show in Adam, and showed in mankind. And now, when we see death in mankind, can we call man evil? No, it is not evil. We are not evil. It is part of the design of man not to have life by his own works. We have been made in the image of God or to be the image of God, which is actually the Hebrew word for an idol. Now let me explain that. When God said, let me make man in my image, or let man be the image of God in the earth, that word image is the same word that says you shall not have any image before me. In other words, you shall not take a piece of wood and make an image out of that and worship it. Now, as what you would take, um, you know, some people take a piece of rock and cut an image of a god out of it and then worship that image. Now, God says you shall not make an image, neither shall you worship the image. So just making the image is already wrong. Why? because man is the image you are the image you are the image of God you are the idol God made <laughs> if you want to call it like that you are the image that came forth you are the image of God and as what an image of a God doesn't have life in itself outside of the God giving it life that's how we 
don't have life in ourselves, by ourselves, for we are not God. We are only the image of God. We are the presence of God in the earth, for God indwells us. And as long as what God indwells us, we can say that we are the image of God and, God, and we will have life. But the moment this image of God says, I'm a God by my own, then we are dead. And that is our design. And what happened to man was, man was deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam followed her in her deception. He wasn't deceived. He willfully went into this. But Eve was deceived. And as they went into this, what happened? Man was, man became a self-existing one, but he cannot exist by himself and therefore he's dying. So as we see this manifesting in him, we can't say he's evil. It's part of his design. It's shocking, but I want to tell you, it is not in your design to produce holiness. You cannot produce it. You cannot produce righteousness. You are the image of God. And the only life you can have is the very life of God. So unless God brings forth His righteousness in the earth in you, then you, you are functioning outside of design. You, you've been designed to have, to be the, the place where the presence of God dwells. When we study the word image, it also means the presence, the place where God is present. And... Um, I mean, it's so beautiful. If I just, as I preach this, I just feel overwhelmed by this, by understanding this and the ease it brings to man and, and how it just makes our life so effortless and how we can come to a complete trust in God. The beautiful thing about this image that God made, He made it alive. We, we're not just a rock or a stone or a piece of tree or anything like that. We are alive. We, we can think and reason and feel and all those kind of things. And imagine God having a being that is His image, that carries His righteousness, that carries His thoughts, that carries His life, and then Him coming to the earth also in, a, in bodily form and how He can fellowship and interact with His own people and how we can be the friends of God. Isn't that beautiful? And how we can feel what it feels like to share in His life. So since we are the image of God in the earth, and an image of a God is not the God himself, but only possesses the life the God freely gives him, and should the image want to live by itself, it will just die, we cannot call the image evil. Man has got something good inside him. We are very good. We are perfect. You even if you have not been saved, I want to say this to you, you are perfect as pertaining to being a being that can um, uh, uh, accommodate God and give full expression to who God is in the earth. That has not changed. That has not changed. The fall of man has not changed our design. The fall of man has not changed your design. The fall of man has just brought what God has designed into a place where it's dying. Now we've got a lady in our church that we've known for years and we've known their we know their children and um, she's got cancer and she's got cancer right through her body. And even if cancer is spread through her body that is basically not a place in her body 
that you cannot find cancer. I will never call her a cancer because she is not a cancer. Human, a human being is not a cancer. You know, we find uh, the, 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 a, a very liberal Greenpeace mindset when I say that humans are the cancer of the earth. That's a lie. It's a lie. You are not a cancer and you will never be a cancer. You might have cancer, but you are not a cancer. In the same way as what I can, when I look at that lady and I feel the love in my heart for her, I feel the compassion of God for her, compassion out of my heart just for her. Um, and I look at her husband and we're seeing how she's really, really sick and how she can't even walk properly anymore. Um, and I can, I mean, as much as what I cannot relate to her as a cancer, but I will always relate to her as a person and I will know her by name. How much more will God not relate to you as holy and as his person, as the one that he loves, as his child, even in the midst of the sickness and the oppression of sin? Just think of that. If we will not call somebody a cancer that's got cancer, why will we call somebody in whom evil manifests evil? The only way we can call someone evil, and the, Bible, and the Bible talks about when Jesus says, how can you that are evil say good things? Or What he was talking about in that word evil, that word evil means full of labor and annoyance. What he was saying was, how can you that live by the law say good things? What he was actually trying to say is, how can you, you know, it's just hypocritical. If you want to be a being that is a self-existing one by works righteousness, how can you ever say any good thing? What it was actually saying to them, if you live by the law, nothing you say, even if it is a good thing you say, it is not good because it wasn't born from God. It's a self-existing power that comes from one that cannot exist by itself or by himself and he is still dying. It cannot save you. That's what he was meaning. That was the intent of the, of the heart. God fell in love with the world and he loves the world. <clears throat> you know the movie Beauty and the Beast? Um, no, I was, I was, when I was thinking of preaching this, I said to God, God, please help me that I can preach this thing not just from a theological perspective that it bores people, but I want to communicate it in a way that it can become effectual in their lives. That they can feel loved, and they can see the need for knowing this. Um, and what came to my heart is, and I, and I, you know, last night I thought, and maybe I'll just change the message and preach on something else. Because it felt to me as if I don't know how to communicate it properly. And <clears throat> this picture came to my mind, and I just feel it was from God. And it was about the movie, The Beauty and the Beast. And you can remember that, that movie, that animation picture, where... Um, a spell came over the king's kingdom. And when the spell came over this kingdom, you know, all the angels that there was like became ugly monsters and uh, the people that they were changed, the one changed into a teacup uh, and the other one into a teapot. And then we found the feather duster fell in love with a um, candlestick and all those kind of things. And although they were under the, that curse, if you look at the whole story, you find that they are still actually just the same people. 
They just look differently, but they're the same people. The one is a cup and cannot run the way she ran before. And the one is a candlestick and the other one is a feather duster and they cannot give true expression to who they are because they're under a curse. And that's exactly what happened to mankind in Adam. Now when Adam sinned, that curse came over man where man was veiled. That is what 2 Corinthians 3 so clearly states. He says, by the reading of the law, you are veiled. The Bible says when you read the law, you are veiled. By the reading of the law, it's like, and I've used this before, it's like taking this, um, this Bible and reading the law, and when I read the law and I keep it in front of me like this, you know, <clears throat> I'm reading the law. I cannot see you and you cannot see me because this law is veiling me. We cannot see each other. We cannot make eye contact. You cannot see facial expression. I can express my, myself and I cannot see you. And that's exactly what happens in the reading of the law. Yet on the inside, I'm still good. I want to love. I want to do good. Now so many people say when you're under grace, then you want to do good. But when you are under the law, you didn't want to do good. That's not true. That's not true. Even when I was under the law, I wanted to do good. We see so many people under the law, they want to do good, but the problem is they don't get it right. They're craving good, but they cannot do the good. And that is what I want to end with, and I want to read <coughs> from Romans 7 <coughs> and explain Romans 7. Romans 7 verse 9 says, Paul says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. My goodness. <laughs> For we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal, sold under sin. Can you see here how Paul, when he says I am carnal, I am sold under sin, how he's using the language of slavery where he's talking about being under the bondage of something where you want freedom and where there's actually a free person that wants to do good, but he cannot. He says, I was deceived. I, sin slew me. He said, what was the sin that he committed? He, the sin that Paul committed was uh, the, the lie of thinking that by obeying the 10th commandment of you shall not desire, that he, by doing that, will manifest righteousness in the earth and be a righteous person. And what Paul, what Paul did there, he immediately came to the place where he was standing in the presence of, and he was faced with having experiential knowledge of what it means to know good and not to be able to do the good and only to have experience of evil, which is to find death manifesting in you, oppressing you. Paul defines evil here. He says, when I, I want to do good, but I cannot do the good. And whenever I want to do good, that which I don't want to do, that I do, the evil is then with me. Who shall deliver me from this oppression or this body of death? And he comes and he defines what good and evil actually is. It's when you want to do good, but you cannot, and there's a veil over yourself, and you cannot live, that is evil. It's evil that God's people are under a cloak or a veil and they cannot live. And God has come to redeem man from that and set man free from that. Because each one of you that's watching me today, 
I want to tell you, you are good. The fact that you are good is not what saves you. <laughs> we need to understand, you know, a law mind will say, well, then everybody's saved. Oh, please don't be so afraid of the universalism message. Uh, you know, we are so scared. The universalism message has spooked the church into not even being able to see the goodness of God. The fact that you are good doesn't mean you are saved. The only thing that can save you is Jesus and a very good person under the law and living by legalism and trying to find righteousness by his works, not putting his reliance upon Jesus, is lost. The good person is dying. And the signs of death is showing in his life. And the signs of the fruit of the flesh is evident. It's called the wrath of God. The wrath of God is uh, basically where God said that if you eat of this you will die. It doesn't mean God will kill you. God in his passion, and I'm not going to explain all of that, but said to man, if you eat of this you will die. I will not allow you to live in eternal misery. Death will come your way. But if you can find grace in my eyes, then you will live. So beautiful, you know, the Bible says in, Rome, in, in Genesis 6 that before the earth, uh, the flood came on the earth, it expresses it so beautifully. It says, <clears throat> and when God saw that man's thoughts and the intentions of his heart was continually evil nonstop, he said, destruction will come to the earth. You know, and it says there that he repented for making man. He was sorrowful that he made man and said, I will destroy all of man. And if you study that word where he repented, it actually said he had compassion. He felt pity on man. And he says, and he basically said, I cannot see that man would eternally live. There is not one place. The Bible says nowhere in their mind or in their heart was there the slightest place where even the almighty God could find anybody wherein he could bring forth life. But listen to what happened. The Bible says, But Noah found grace in the sight of God. That word grace there um, is related to a root word which actually means to want to live with or to tabernacle with. So what Noah, all the people were evil, and God said, I cannot see that you continue to live in that eternal or that in, in that absolute torture of evil. And I would grant that evil to have its full cycle, which is unto death. It's like, I'm going to switch the life support off because I cannot see that you live like this. If somebody's got the got a disease where he's dying and nothing can be done for him, are you going to keep him alive in that? No. And that is the kind of a heart. But listen to Noah in the midst of all of that. The Bible says he found grace in the sight of God. The way I like to look at it is he looked into the eyes of God, into God's sight, in the sight of God. He looked into the eyes of God and he saw a God that wants to live with him. And he was saved. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And that evil talks about people that were continually evil, talking about people that were continually living in this law mindset. 
but the one who could see that it's not by my works, but by a God that wants to live inside me and so give me life. He had life. So I want to say to you that when man sin, it doesn't mean that you are evil. By the very design of God, by the way He made us, since He made us in His image and in His likeness, it means we are exactly like Him, but we are not self-existing ones. That means that you have got a certain weakness. And that weakness is you cannot have eternal life by your own works. And that is not evil. The moment we can realize that that is part of our life and that that is not evil, the sooner we'll start to re rely upon the Lord and be free. Continues to say here in verse 15, he says, For that which I, Romans 7, 15, For that which I allow, for that, for that which I do, do not allow, that I do. And that which I hate, sorry, that which I allow, I don't do. But that which I hate, that I do. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh or in my human ability, in the true Adam before the fall. Let me explain that. <laughs> Paul says, in my flesh dwells nothing good. In that flesh, he doesn't talk about his human body, as in a body, because the human body is called the temple of God. We cannot say, in the temple of God is nothing good. When Paul says, in my flesh dwells nothing good, he doesn't talk about his human body. He's talking about, in the human ability to be like God, is no good, meaning there is no eternal life in that. That is what he's meaning. Let me repeat that. When Paul says that in my flesh is nothing good, he was not saying that in his human body is nothing good. Because that very same Paul says, don't you know that you are holy and that your body is the temple of God? And why will you take your body or the temple of God and make it one with a prostitute? No, do, don't you know that um, if a husband and wife come together or man and woman come together, they are one flesh. So why will you take th this flesh and make it one with a harlot? So he comes and he doesn't say the human body is evil. He's saying, he's saying the human body is the temple of God. When he says, in my flesh dwells nothing good, he's talking about the human ability to be like God. And that was true about Adam as well, after the creation. It was true about him. Inside Adam's flesh dwelt no eternal life. Inside Adam, Adam's ability to be like God by his knowledge and his willpower and all those things is nothing good. And God warned Adam about that before he even sinned. Can you see how this changes the way we think of humans? All of a sudden when we look at people and we look at people doing things that's not good, when we look at people where we find that sin manifests in them, where they uh, uh, commit crimes and where, they, where, where the law has got to go its way, we, we have a, a compassion in our heart, we can have a compassion in our heart for that person, because we can see the intrinsic holiness of that person and how he's actually killed by a wrong belief and finding his life by the works of the law and unbelief and all those kind of things and how he's dying. Can you see how this truth will bring forth a great compassion in the church and in the heart of the church for people? 
You know, I think if we as preachers can grab a hold of this message, um, we, we, will, we will not abuse our people. We will not abuse people for our own egos. We will not measure our success by our church. We will not measure our success by how much these people support us or all those kind of things. We will preach a message that comes from, from, from the heart of God and we will be manifested image of God in the earth. The love of God will flow through us and we will be content and the people will be happy. That is what is needed. I, I think that is, I really think this is what we need to understand. We can't look at people as evil things and one they, once they get saved, now they're holy. Yes, Beth, but what does it mean if the Bible says the blood of Jesus washed away my sin? And what it means is the blood of Jesus washed away where you have not been partaking of his eternal life and is coming to give you life. And the blood of Jesus washed you from an evil conscience. Isn't that what the Bible says? Were you conscious that you're evil all the time? And were you conscious of works righteousness? Because evil means law-mindedness. And the mi being minded where you think you can be an I am instead of a receive. Where we receive, therefore we are. We can say I am because of him. But I can't just say I am. I am because of him. He is the great I am. And therefore... I am because of him. I hope you see what I am saying. It says here in verse 18, it says, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, my human ability, in the true Adam before the fall even, now designed, dwells no good thing. And he's come to this revelation. Why? Because when he believed in the law, he's come to this knowledge that to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Didn't God tell that to Adam before the fall? He told him, you cannot be good by your own works. You are good because of me. It says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I don't want to do, it's no more I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I want to do good, it, listen to these words, when I want to do good, evil is with me. The knowledge of good and evil. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. Now listen to this. O wretched man that I am. He just said, listen, he just said, I am good inside me and I look at the law which is good but the good that I want I can't do it because I'm under a system where I want to implement human willpower to bring forth the, the life of God in me and I've come to the revelation and the experiential knowledge that I cannot do it I am here to receive only and from there, from receiving life, and once I have that life, that life will flow through me, and so I'll be a co-sharer in the very life of God. He goes on and says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, the human body, since it was taken from the dust of the earth, the word dust in the Hebrew means rubbish. 
since the human body was taken from something that doesn't have intrinsic life in it, and life was added into this dust, and once this came alive, we were, um, we were dust made alive. If we reject the very life that give the dust life, what's left? Only death, only dust. So what does Paul do? He says, I have the life of Christ in me, but when I became law-minded, I realized that this embodiment that I'm living in, or this, this, this fiber that I've been made of, is dying and that I cannot have life by myself. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Only Jesus. By doing what? By giving immortality to this body. How? In union with God in Christ. Not by own willpower. So I want to say to you, you are not evil. You were designed not to have eternal life by your own works. You have been designed to be the image or the idol of God. God is not praying to an idol. It's not what I'm saying. An idol means to be the representative or the presence of a God in the earth. That's why God says, have no idols before me or false gods before me or other gods before me. Because the only God in this earth that can be my representative is you. He's you. And he's a jealous God. He's jealous of you. He doesn't want to share you with someone else. You are his image and you're the only image of him. And since you are an image of this God, the true life is in the God. And he's come to share it with you. So you cannot be an I am. You can also not be an I become. You can only say I am because he is. That is the way. So if you find an inability to live holy or an inability to be righteous when you come under laws and, laws and rules and regulations, please don't judge yourself and say I am an evil person. You are not evil. You are loved by God. You are beautiful. You are accepted. You are the crown of His creation. He loves you. He smiles over you. And He has come to save man from being a God by His own works. And that is the salvation plan. We need to see ourselves as victims, victims through the deception that came in Adam. Yet we don't have to live with a victim mentality since... Christ has come to bring redemption to us. Isn't that beautiful? Glory to God. I would like to pray for you that are watching because maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you're struggling with certain things in your life and you feel, I'm evil. There's something evil about me or um, you might even think your own child's evil because he's done so many bad things or whatever. I want to say to you that you are good and I would like to pray for you. Father, I want to stretch forth my hands and I want to just Pray for people that are watching today. And I thank you, Lord, that when we talk about in just being a person that is evil, that they will never believe that they are evil, but they will be, believe that they are good. And they can come before God and say, God, you've made me good. Good in a specific way. And thank you that you've come to save and preserve and redeem this good. 
You've come to save me from believing lies about myself and you. You've come to save me from death that's come to me. You've come to save me from the experiential knowledge of wanting to do good but not being able to do it and dying. That's why you've come to give me eternal life. Thank you, Father. I can pray for people right now that are watching this. And I declare to you that you are good. And don't try to be good by your own works or be holy by your own works. Rely upon Jesus. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior today, I would like to pray, pray with you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to receive Jesus, if you've never received Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for revealing to me that I'm not bad. Thank you that you've always seen. You've seen me for who I am. I come to you. Save me from sin and death. I cannot save myself. I see that you have got power over sin and death. For you became sin. You died. And you were raised. So I come to you. And I ask you. Give me your life. Manifest your life in me. I see myself crucified with you. I'm a brand new man because of you. I receive you, Jesus. Your life is mine. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You know, if you've prayed that prayer, we would like to um, just speak to you encourage you, please feel free to go to dynamicministries.com or bertiebrits.com and go to the web church tab and just go to one of our web pastors there and contact them, make contact with them. We'd like, we would love to pray with you and encourage you and help you on your walk in, um, in Christianity and just in this whole message of life because there's still so much to know. Glory to God. I want to thank everybody that has watched and uh, thank you for allowing me to serve you with this good news. I'm looking forward to be uh, chatting with you again in this week on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, uh, and just uh, WhatsApp, what all the different mediums we have and we make use of, and just sharing the gospel of Jesus with you. See you then again next Sunday. God bless you.